If you have your uh, Bibles with you or your various devices, however it is you access the Word of God, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're still wrestling our way through this Greek book with all the stuff that's in there. And we're going to almost finish chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 14 where we left off last week and we'll, we'll almost get to the end of the chapter but not quite. So uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll dig in. Almighty God, we want to thank you that we can praise you because you are always at our side. You know, honestly, Lord, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it feels a little bit like we're wandering in the wilderness. Sometimes it feels like uh, we've got to fight on our own. Sometimes the, the darkness of the world kind of can, can get a hold of us. We, we think of, of the suffering around. I think of this, this war in, in uh, Ukraine and conflicts in Africa and stuff that happens around in the world that we hear of. And it can be, it can be a bit overwhelming, Lord. And so sometimes, sometimes I just kind of like to push that aside and not think about it because it gets too difficult because, because we want to live this life of praise and we want to know that you're at our side. And that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning. So Holy Spirit, uh, we recognize your presence. We thank you that you dwell amongst us and within us. We thank you that your word is your sword that you use to cut deeply into our hearts and into our lives, to heal that which needs healing, to cut out that which is ungodly, and to do some great surgery. And that's, that's what we ask that you would do with us this morning, Lord. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you know that we need, we open ourselves up to you to do that within us. We pray through Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right. What do you need? What do you need? I mean, if we uh, take a couple of minutes right now and just kind of jot down, you have the opportunity to ask God for anything that you need. What is it that you need? And so uh, for me, right away, given a minute, you know, I'm sure we could come up with 10 or 20 things. First of all, top of the list for me is a good lunch. I know I should be looking forward to visiting with some of you after worship, but mostly I'm looking forward to lunch. It's very important to me, and so Lord, help me have a good lunch. Maybe for some of you, it's, man, you know what, I, I, wish, I, I wish I could get some debt repayment going here. The financial pressure on me is kind of crushing me, so Lord, you know, just let me figure out how to get rid of this, this debt. For some of you, maybe the first thing on your list would, Lord, I, I could really use some good friendships. Some people I could really share life with. Some people I could call up at any old time and say, hey, let's go and do something fun. Or call up at 2 a.m. in the morning and say, I can't sleep because this is driving me crazy. Can you pray for me? Some of us, that's kind of the top of the list. And then if we think a little bit longer and I give you a few more minutes to come down, maybe we'd sort of get past those things that are top of the mind and sort of come down to the... I don't know, some more foundational layers of, of things that are, are, are needed in our life. Maybe instead of me praying for lunch, you'd be, Lord, you know, help me to, you know, have some discipline where food isn't an, an idol of mine. And maybe we'd go on a bit further and say, Lord, you know, it's not just debt, but the truth is that my life is out of control. And debt's just a symptom of the inability I have to control my desires or to, to not have, have control in my life, whatever it is. And maybe we pray, Lord, you know, I know why I don't have friends because I, 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 I drive them all away. 
Because I know that so, sometimes I'm so broken that I become selfish and, and it's, just, it's just difficult for friends to keep with me because it's like it's a one-way street and I know, Lord, that, that there's some things in my life and in my heart that need to change if I'm going to have the friends and I'm going to have the connections that I want and need. So today, we're going to look into, into the Scriptures and we're going to look at, at how the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to ask God for the Christians in Ephesus, which is modern Turkey. He's going to ask them, he's going to give them a prayer for them because he's going to pray according to the inspiration of the Spirit for what people need. You know, it's interesting, I was listening to a lecture by uh, Lynn Kohek, who's a sort of New Testament scholar and specialized in Pauline literature and, and women in the church and, and all these different things, a great, great scholar. And it, she says something really interesting about this passage. She said, you know, those times when we, we run into people, we have people, we have friends, and disaster has hit their life. And you're almost afraid to go over to their house because the, the sorrow is so great, the grief is so great, the pressure is so great, or whatever the case is, you're kind of scared to go because you know that anything you say will just kind of sound a little bit trite. Because, I mean, it's just so, the grief is so profound, or the worry is so great, or the guilt is so severe, whatever. You know, man, I, don't, I, I know I should go and see them, but I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I just, I don't know. This is, this is deep stuff. I'm sure we've all been there. And what, what Koik said is that, listen, when we get in those spots, these prayers are the prayers that we can pray for folks because they, they, they dive down into the very core of who we are and what flows out of who we are in spite of and in light of the circumstances of life. Paul prays from prison. He's been there, as I said, for about four years now, chained to a prison, a Roman guard. And yet somehow he knows that he can pray now as he faces even death that these are the significant prayers for people when everything has gone to pot. When we are looking at a life and death kind of a deal here, this is the prayer. These are the deepest prayers for the deepest needs. Driving at the very core of our being that carry us through when everything else is going to pot. So let's read the prayer and see if we can pick up the four or five things bit of a debate, that Paul prays for these people whom he loves, remembering that he's praying this prayer from prison. All right, here we go. He picks up, remember last time we saw last week that, that verse 1 of chapter 3, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's going to pray, and then he gets into that whole thing, oh yeah, I remember this, and then he picks it up again, verse 14, he's back on track. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, here's one, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Quite a prayer. Now, before we dig into the actual prayers, there's just a few things I want to remind us of to sort of set the tone a little bit. Uh, the first thing that I want to say is that this is, <laughs> this is, you know, that whole prayer in the Greek text is one great, big, long, complicated sentence. This is Paul just sort of... All wrapped up. 
And it's a very, very difficult. You'll see there, did you notice that, that these different prayers are kind of connected. Our translation says, so that. It's a Greek little word, hina. And part of the problem is, is that it's very difficult to figure out how this passage goes together. As a matter of fact, one New Testament scholar I read said that this passage brings about exegetical pandemonium. So you've got to imagine a bunch of, you know, middle-aged New Testament scholar at the Society of Biblical Literature, enraged, red-faced, pounding the table about what this little word, hina, or so that means and how it ties together. So that, along with some other things, he said, it's just, it's just crazy because there's this one big prayer, this jumbled up thing as Paul pours out his passion. And we know it's passionate because he says this, for this reason I bend my knee or I kneel before the Father. See, here's what you need to know. The typical stance or physical body position in biblical days for praying was standing. It was standing. And as you read through the Bible and people are praying, you should imagine people standing before God. But there were some exceptions. And the exceptions where the people don't stand, where they in fact kneel, are the especially emotionally charged prayers. I mean, when they really get into it, when they're really going to pour out their hearts, when this is something that is absolutely critical, when it's kind of a life and death deal, instead of praying, they're on their knees before God and people say, oh, oh that guy, he's really getting caught up there. So when he says, I kneel before the Father, this is Paul at his most passionate. He's saying, listen, you need to understand that I understand that you've got stuff going on in your life that's deep stuff that we need to address in prayer because I've got stuff going on in my life because I'm in prison facing death. Third thing, just to set things up, he says, I kneel before the Father. And the idea here is one of intimacy. It kind of goes back to what we looked at last week when we talked about how, how our prayers can be full of freedom and confidence. Remember that? And it's this idea that, listen, that I've got this, this passionate prayer and I can do it passionately and I can be confident in it because I'm praying to our Father. I'm praying to one who is intimate. I'm praying to one who knows as well. I'm praying to one who's got the power and the ability to make things happen and to make things change. So that's kind of how he leads into it. And then he offers up the specific prayer, these deep prayers for deep needs. And the first one, he said, I pray that God will strengthen your inner being with power. I pray that God, verse 16, I pray that God will strengthen your inner being with power. Your inner being, you know, that's, you need to understand that he's not kind of separated out because in one sense, the, the Hebrew understanding, the biblical understanding of our being is that we're all connected, you know, our spirit, our body, our, our mind, all those things. It's one kind of big chunk. They don't divide it out. But what he's driving at, he's saying, listen, you know that stuff that's inside you? You know that stuff where all your feelings are? You know that stuff where all your mind is? You know that, that place within you that kind of that keeps you awake at night or, and encourages you or discourages you or brings fear? Or, you know, you've got the twirling in your stomach. I pray that that part of you would be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. Now, you've got to remember who the Spirit is. The Spirit that Paul's talking about is the Spirit of God who resurrected Jesus from the dead. What Paul's saying is that, listen, when it comes to your inner stuff and you've got this deep stuff going on inside of you, I pray that God, who has the resurrection power, comes into your inner being and gives you the strength and the power to face and to get through whatever it is that you're facing. Holy Spirit, resurrection power. 
You know, you might wonder, how is it that Paul could write such a, a positive letter that we've been reading, you know, about the riches of heaven and all of these different things when he's in prison four years? How can he be so positive? This is why. Because Paul experienced and understood what it is in the most dire of circumstances to have the resurrection power of the Spirit resurrect his spirit when it's feeling crushed, when it's feeling down, when it's feeling confused. You see, what God understands is that our inner being is fragile. It's easily damaged. It's easily crushed. It's easily burdened. You know, it's been a, a thing for me in the last few months. I've just been so, um, I don't know what the right word is, concerned, burned, work for people who struggle with anxiety. It, it's, just, it's just rampant. You know, we had our day of fasting and prayer here last, last Saturday, and, and I was praying. I said, Lord, you know, I don't know if, if, if there's a spiritual anxiety or something in our fellowship or if it's just the way it is across North America, but there are so many people who are seized up with anxiety. So many people who are seized up with depression. What in the world is going on? And this is, this is the fragility. We're, 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 we're uh, susceptible to brokenness in these ways. And this prayer that Paul is praying is that, listen, listen, I pray for you. This is what I pray for you. I pray for you that in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your depression, in the midst of your whatever it is, I pray that the resurrection power of God comes in and brings healing and freedom against that anxiety, against this brokenness of our inner being. So whatever it is, the deep stuff that's going on in your life, the stuff that you're facing, perhaps stuff that you want to shove down and not deal with, perhaps stuff that makes you afraid and you just want to wait, run away from your circumstance or the places, whatever that stuff is, Paul says, listen, let's pray that the full strength of the Holy Spirit comes to work in your inner being and set you free from that. Because you see, what we need to understand is in the Bible, if you want to talk about power, it's always connected to the Holy Spirit. And he's just saying, Holy Spirit, come and free this person. Free us. Free me. Strengthen my inner being that is all too fragile and easily damaged. And then he goes on to his second prayer in verse 17. It's basically the prayer that Christ would set up permanent residence in our hearts. An emphasis on the, on the permanent residence. And it's kind of like ownership. That, that Christ would take ownership of our hearts. You know, uh, there's a couple of different words that, that, that means to, to live. And one of the Greek words that he could have used is the word that means like to kind of stay for a while. Like you're going to go to a long-stay hotel or, or maybe it's just overnight in a motel, whatever it is. And so that's one word that said, hey, you know what? I'm just kind of staying here for a while. And then there's another word that means to set down your roots, to set down into permanent residence, to dwell there forever and to take actual ownership of where you're living. And it's the second word that Paul uses here. He's saying, listen, I pray that Jesus would set down roots and make your heart his home forever, unshakably. He will just be there and he will, in fact, take ownership over that. You know, we, 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 we worry 
that sometimes that Christ, you know, there's Paul in prison, and maybe the Ephesians were worried about him, and he says, hey, don't worry about me being in prison. Why? Because they're afraid that maybe God abandoned Paul, and Paul saying, no, 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 you need to understand that Jesus takes a permanent residence in my heart. He's dwelling there, and I pray that you'll come to know that. Now, here's a funny thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, as these Ephesians were, Jesus already dwells in our heart. So why is Paul praying to these people who already have Jesus dwelling in their heart that Jesus would take a permanent residence in her heart? Well, I think it's because he wants him to have full living in their heart. That he would go and live in every chamber of their heart. That the power of the Spirit would allow us the sense that in fact Jesus is here. You see, sometimes we think that we've gone too far. God is not, it's not missing, it feels like. He's so silent. And it might worry us that, man, you know, I, I just don't know. Maybe I've, I've done too much. Maybe, maybe it's gone. And so Paul said, no, 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 no. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give testimony to you that God never leaves you, that Jesus is with you. But he wants to take full dwelling of your heart. You see, our inner being is kind of there, you know, our thoughts and our feelings. The heart is like the control center of our inner being. And he's saying, I'm praying that Jesus would, would take uh, absolute control and dwell all parts of your life. And if you think about your, your heart and all the different chambers of your heart, all the different rooms of your heart, and Paul's saying, listen, you know what I pray? I pray that Jesus takes up residence in your living room. I pray that Jesus is there in the midst of your relationships, whether it be with your friends or your family or whatever. When you've got the people in and you're discussing and you're talking to your kids and you're talking to your best friend and you have people over, he says, I pray that Jesus has control of your relationships. I pray, says Paul, may he take a permanent residence in your recreation on the things that you watch on the TV, the gaming that you do, whatever it is that you do. He said, whatever goes on in your living room, that relational center of your life, I pray that Jesus takes a permanent residence there that you know it and that he has control over it. I pray, says Paul, that he takes over your kitchen. That Jesus has lordship over our bodies and our health. That Jesus has lordship, <clears throat> excuse me, getting emotional thinking about food. <clears throat> that Jesus has control over the stuff we eat. You know, I remember reading some medical thing a while ago, and there's a bunch of doctors and nurses here who probably tell me more. But this guy was arguing, he said, listen, a huge percentage of the diseases that the Western world has, it's self-inflicted because of our diet and lack of exercise and the way in which you look after our bodies. And so it's like, it's like Paul saying, listen, I, I, I pray that, that Jesus takes care of, of that part of your body, which, of, your, of your life, which is your body, your exercise, your diet, getting adequate sleep, some of these things. I pray that Jesus controls that. And sometimes it's a bit of a shock. You know, when I went to Asbury, it's a holiness school, like in there with the Salvation Army and the Methodists, holiness thing. So they make you submit a diet plan and an exercise plan to go to school there. Why? Because they understand that Jesus should have control of our kitchen and our exercise and our sleep. He says, I pray that Jesus takes control of your bedroom. That Christ's ongoing lordship directs and dictates and guides and blesses your sexuality. I pray that Jesus takes root in your bedroom. I pray, says Paul, 
that Jesus is front and center to the foyer of your life. That place where our homes and the world interface, where they come together and interact, where your personal life meets the outside world. Paul says, I just pray that God, that Christ would be the governor of your workspace. The way you treat your workmates, the way you relate to your boss or your employees. I, I pray that the Lord is, is governor of that and takes part. I pray, says Paul, that the Lord is governor of your politics. I, I don't think I'll ever forget. I was in small group Bible with my friend Steve. And he says to me, Alan, you know, we're Christians. We should be voting for people not who's best for, for us, but who's best for other people. This was a shocking thought to me. I'm still trying to work it out. So in my politics, if Jesus is Lord of my politics, I need to think about what's best for others, not just what's best for me. Ooh, that's kind of weird and funky. How do you run that out? As Paul's saying, listen, the foyer of your life, that place where your personal life interacts with the world, I pray, says Paul, that Jesus takes up the permanent residence there and he takes ownership of where your life meets the world. I pray, says Paul, that Jesus takes residence and lordship of your basement. That he's lord of those secret things which people don't see. And we don't invite people down into. Maybe, some, maybe it's the secret struggles of our life. Maybe it's the temptations that we all too often fall prey to. Maybe it's addictions that have us in chains down there. Maybe in the basement, maybe it's, it's, it's the secret good things that you do. The, the secret 200 bucks you slide somebody that's having a hard time. Paul says, I, I pray that Jesus takes control of your basement of your life. Those things that only know, you know about and you don't tell anyone else about. I pray that Jesus, says Paul, takes up deep permanent residence in your heart. In every part of your life. Then he goes on with the next prayer. Next prayer is in verse 18. And this is where the exegetical pandemonium really kicks in. You see, when we read it in the New International Version, what it said was, you know, what does it say? Let me read it for you again. Verse 18. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and deep is the love of Christ. But the truth is, as the NIV translators slip in the word, the love of Christ. That's not actually in the passage of Scripture. The New American Standard Bible has it better. This is actually what it says. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, you are, you're, you're being rooted and grounded in love. That's where you are. You're rooted and grounded in love. Here we go. Next, keep on. Next slide. This is the key one. No? That's, the next one is the important one. That's the least important one. We don't have it. Uh-oh. Sorry, John. I thought I was clear. It's a simple thing, you know, but I screw up communicating with these guys all the time. <laughs> this is the second time now. I've given them the wrong verse. This is what it says in the New American Standard, verse 18. Being ground root in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and know the love of Christ. You see, the, the truth is in the passage of scripture that Paul actually authored, it just kind of leaves, it's left hanging there. 
It's just sort of left hanging there. What, the height and the depth and the width of what? We don't know. And this is where the pandemonium breaks out because there's all kinds of ideas of, of what is it that Paul is praying that we really get a hold of? What is it that Paul's saying, look, you really need to understand this. You need to need to grab how big this is. Well, let me just lay out for you a few ideas that through the centuries have been given that this is what it might be. Number one, the oldest understanding, Origin and the boys back in the, in the 200s, you know, late early 100s, late 200s, you know, just like 100 years after Jesus. They said, listen, what Paul's praying is that we have, that we understand the height and the depth and the breadth of a cross. That we would somehow gain an understanding of everything that it means that Jesus died on the cross for us. That we'd somehow gain a sense of what it is that God himself would become flesh and die for you because he loves you in spite of yourself. And that's what Paul's saying. I just pray that you'll, you'll get a sense of what the cross in all of its fullness really and actually means. Well, a hundred or so, a couple hundred years pass by, and they say, you know what, that's kind of good, but we don't, we don't think that that's what it is. What this is actually talking about, the height and the depth and the breadth of, is it, it, it describes a perfect sphere, they're saying. And what Paul's driving at is that I, I pray that you'd get a sense of the perfection of God. That this perfect God, that your being would have a sense of, of, of the fullness of the perfection of this marvelous God. That's what I pray, that you'd know God in all of his fullness. And let that be a guide and a comfort and a challenge to your life. Now we go ahead a little bit longer, 18th, 19th century. They said, you know what? We need to take more seriously the context of this whole passage. And what, what Paul is praying actually here is he, it, it's temple language. And he's saying, listen, I pray that you would understand the totality of the unity of Christ's church. Because this is part of, we've been hammering away at this through Ephesians. We go through Paul, right? He's talking about you know, Jews and Greeks and the burying wall being broke down, all those things. And Paul's saying, listen, I just pray that all of this prejudice and all of this racism and all of this division and all of this hatred and all of this nasty talk, I just pray that all that would be washed away because I pray that you would have a great sense of the height and the depth and the breadth of how everybody with all of their different foibles and personalities and political persuasion, that all of you would understand that, then, that in Christ you are one. I pray, I, I'm praying for the unity of the church that you'd understand that the blood of Jesus is bigger than all of our differences. That's what I pray, says Paul. I pray that you'd understand just how massive and broad and all-inclusive the body of Christ is intended to be. Another guy said, yeah, you know, that, that's good that you're taking a, a broader personality, but let, let's maybe, not personality, but no, context, let's maybe narrow it down a little bit and let's, see, let's understand that, that he's, it's talking about the dimensions of the inheritance of heaven. I mean, what has Paul been writing about? He's been talking about uh, the glorious riches stored up for us in heaven. He's been talking about the abundant riches of God. And, and what this is, is that, listen, Paul is praying that you would have a sense of just how grand and marvelous God is and the great things that he has stored up for us and living out. And so I, I just pray, says Paul, to get you through these tough times that you'd have a sense of the inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. And then other guys, they pound up the table, they pound the table and say, no, 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 that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about God's wisdom. 
I mean, take a look in chapter 1, verse 8, verse 17, in, in, in chapter 3, verse 10. And if you go into the Old Testament, if you read the book of Job, this is the kind of language that describes God's wisdom. And if you go into the, the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 11, the height and the depth, it's, oh, that language, it's all about the wisdom of God. And, and when I pray for you, says Paul, he's saying, I pray that you'd know the fullness of the wisdom of God, so that you'd live your life by the wisdom of God, so that you'd understand that God's ways are the best ways. So you'd understand how, how amazing it is, how, why it is that we can, remember we saw last week, that we could shock the demons into silence because of the wisdom of God and how you live your life in that. That's what I pray for. Finally, the last guys, they stand up and they've got the megaphone and they say, no, 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 it's talking about love. Because the verse right before it and the verse right after is about love. And so he's just, he just gets caught, caught up. He said, hey, you know, I, I just prayed that you'd have the power to understand God's love. The height, the depth, and death, and then goes on again and the love again. So it's really saying, listen, I just pray that you know the fullness of God's love. So you can choose. Maybe he just left it loose like that because all of those things are true. And all of those things make a difference in our life. And all of those things will touch the deep needs. And so he offers up this deep prayer. I'm kind of suspicious that that's the way it is, but really, I, th I kind of think it's love. I'm happy for it with you all, but I think it's kind of love because it's right there in the midst of love. And it makes sense because the next verse that he says in verse 19 is that I pray that you'll know the unknowable love. Man, you want to talk about What's at the very, very core of our deepest need when you, when you, you brush away all of the shrub, this need to know that we are loved. You know, a few months ago when I was meditating through this passage, you know, in my daily devotions, I, I thought, man, why do we need the Holy Spirit's power to know God's love? That seems kind of weird. I mean, God, you know, Jesus died on the cross. And, well, I'll tell you why. It's because for many of us, there are barriers that are stopping you know how much God loves you. There's all kinds of barriers that the Holy Spirit might have to break down and smash down and throw away the rubble before you really understand God's love for you. Maybe it's that you just think you're too insignificant. You've kind of been told all your life you won't amount to much. And you're just, well, why, why on earth would the, the king of creation who whispers and mountains shatter, why would he care about you? Why would he care about me? Maybe it's that, it's that we just feel too insignificant. Yeah, you know, it's okay, God's a God of love, but not me. For some of us, the barrier is that you were abused. And you were taught by the actions of other people that you're unlovable in some weird twist that the enemy puts in our mind that when, when you are, when you're the survivor of abuse, that somehow it's your fault and you deserved it and you don't deserve much better. And you, you kind of live your life that way. That this is, this is what I'm for. This is what I deserve. I, I can't expect anything better. And just to know that you're worthy of love by anyone, let alone God himself. 
is a barrier. For some of us, it's because we've messed up so much. And there's so much sin in our life that we think, God must be just sick to death of me. Because I keep doing this, or I don't do that, and it's the same thing over and over again, or I invent ways every day to do new sinful things and to hurt people more. And so for some of us, it's like, God, I know that you know me, and these other people, they may think that I'm okay guy, but you know me, and, and I, I, you can't love me. You can love these other people, because they're awesome, but the junk that goes into my life and the things that go on in my heart, you, you can't love me for that. It's a barrier that the Holy Spirit has to smash through. For some of us, sometimes it gets on the kind of the other side of things. And we just experience this great disappointment with God. And, and you begin to wonder, this, <laughs> this God who's supposed to be a God of love, man, I don't feel it and I don't see it. And I'm just disappointed that God didn't come through for that prayer that I prayed a thousand times and the mess still ended up happening. It didn't get better. So it's pretty tough for me to believe that God loves me because I'm so disappointed in him. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to break through that disappointment. For some, for some of us, it's gone even beyond disappointment. For some of us... We see the evil in the world and we're prayed about it and we're trying to make a difference and the evil still happens, so we're angry at God. Call yourself a God of love. How could you let these kids suffer? How could you let this happen? Why do we, where were you when this was happening to me? And there's, there's anger and hurt and brokenness. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit to somehow make sense of that because I can't make sense of that. I can't. Like, this is one of the deals where, okay, uh, anything I say, we're kind of trite in front of this and some kind of academic theological explanation of why this would be and why this would be so. Who gives a rip? It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to come and do this ministry, to break through these walls so that you can understand the love of God, that you can know the love of God. You see, this word for know is not an intellectual knowledge. It's a, word, it's a word that means an experiential knowledge. Paul prays that no matter what your circumstances of life, what you need to have happen in your life is you need to experience God. You need to have this, uh, this nonsensical, unfathomable, inexplicable experience of the love of God coming and overwhelming you and brushing aside these barriers and smashing through these barriers that have got you locked away from the love of God. It, it's actually the word that's used for sex. It's the idea of, of you know, well, hopefully some of you don't know, but for those of us that do know, that experience of sex when, 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 when you're oblivious to your surroundings. That you're absolutely, your life is caught up enraptured by it. And what, what Paul's saying is that, listen, what I pray is that, is that you'd experience the love of God to such depth that everything else becomes oblivious. That everything else just, just fades into shadows. That everything else is just sort of of no value because you're enraptured, you're wrapped in, you're caught up into the seventh heaven by the love of God. That's what Paul is saying. That's what we all need. That kind of experience of the love of God. It takes the power of the spirits to come into our being and to do that. Because you see, it's the love of God, the knowledge that 
surpasses knowledge, the unsurpassing knowledge of God. What kind, I wish that you would know the unsurpassing knowledge of God. What kind of a weird thing is? And what Paul's saying is that, listen, you might think that you know that God loves you, but no, you don't. How about, no matter how much it is that you think God loves you, how about you multiply that by 10? No, no, no. How about you multiply that by 100? That no matter how much of an experience of being enveloped in the love of God and being caught up into the passion of God and the desire, no matter how much that you've had of that, how about you multiply that by 1,000? That's not even close. I tell you what, why don't we just give up? Why don't we just understand that God's love for us is so much that we can't measure it, that we can't describe it, that we can't express it. We don't even know how to fully experience it because it is so profound. You're just gobsmacked and just... uh, uh, And maybe we're getting close to understanding the noble love of God when that's our experience. Because you see, what Paul understands, that we need to understand, is that when you live in that knowledge of the love of God, everything else, everything else that we've been told, all the things that we felt, all the fears that we have, all the thing else, it just shrinks in significance. It just doesn't matter anymore. It just allows you to carry on. I have told you before that one of the greatest gifts that my mom used to give me when I was a little boy, you know, I've told you this, I know it's boring, but too bad, I love this story because it makes me feel good. You know, when you're a little boy and you go to school, you're a little kid and you get, you get picked on. Mommy, Jimmy said I have pointy ears and call me Mr. Spock. Who cares? Who's Jimmy? He's not family. He's nobody. He's nothing. Forget it. Who cares what Jimmy thinks? <laughs> now, it's not good to write people off, which is the thing to struggle with. But this says of a moment saying, listen, <laughs> when you understand the love of your family, when you understand the love of your Father God, to whom Paul is praying this for you. When you understand that kind of love, when you're caught up in that kind of love, when you're enraptured by that kind of love, what other people think, what the world says, doesn't matter a hill of beans. And our inner being is strengthened and the brokenness is healed. Well then, he goes to the last prayer. The climax of the prayer I mean, all the scholars that are having this, you know, pandemonium, they will agree with this, that this last portion of the prayer is the climax, is what Paul is saying. But now, let me tell, let me tell you the ultimate. Let me pray for you the ultimate of what it is. I pray, just like they prayed, that you will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What in the world does that mean? How do, we, how do we live that out? Well, he's using Old, temple, Old Testament temple language. 
Remember Isaiah when he said, you know, I saw the Lord and his glory fill the temple, the train of his robe fill the temple, glory, we sing songs about it and all that kind of stuff, you know. It's, it's that, you know, being overwhelmed with, this, with the glory of God. Uh, this is kind of like it is. What Paul is saying is that, listen, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit as an individual, as a church. Remember, we, we saw the other week about God's building a temple, all these bricks put together, this whole thing. And he's using this language and he's saying, listen, may the fullness of God, everything that God is, fill you up as a person and as a church. May the wisdom of God fill you up. May the power of God fill you up. May the truth of God fill you up. May the beauty of God fill you up. May the justice of God fill you up. May the love of God fill you up. May the grace of God fill you up. So that when people encounter you, Alan Jones, and when people encounter you, Grand Prairie Church of Christ, that they will encounter in some way and somehow get a glimpse of the majesty and the wonderfulness of who God is. This incredible prayer that we, broken, empty people, be filled with the measure of God that only God can measure. That's kind of that weird thing. I said, what do you mean? Filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What he's saying is that I want you to be so filled with God and all that he is that only God could measure it. That only God could describe it. That it's beyond anything that anybody else can measure. Only God can measure how much he wants to fill you up. And fall you into the image of God that we started out as before the fall. You know, we've got this theme for the year. Grow up and make a difference. This is the prayer. That we would grow up into the fullness of God. That all that God is would fill us up and make us who God intended us to be from the beginning of time. This is the prayer that we grow up into the image of Christ. Because when we're filled with the glory of God, God receives the glory and new creation takes place in our lives and in the lives of people around us. What a prayer. You know, the only reasonable response to this kind of prayer is to pray. So here's, here's what I'd like us to do. I'm just going to sort of walk us through this prayer. And there's a particular portion maybe of this prayer, of these prayers that Paul offers that, that you know you have a particular need for right now, today. And I, I would just invite you, you know, as I go through that portion, to, you know, in the chat, you know, maybe put, put a check mark or whatever it is. Or if you're here, just kind of, you can raise your hand. And we just want to pray for each other. That these prayers of Paul, these these deep prayers for the deepest needs would be true for your life. So let's just pray and, you know, if you kind of say, oh yeah, that's me, I need that, then you can just kind of, yes, Lord. Uh, let's, let's just pray as we go through. Father, we, we kneel before you in this time because we have needs and then there's this foundational stuff that we all need and at different times we need a different emphasis. So Lord, we kneel before you and we pray for each other. We pray for ourselves. Lord, I want to pray for those. If you're here and, and you need that resurrection power to strengthen your inner being because it's fractured. 
because anxiety has you consumed, because um, depression is creeping in, because your, your, your inner person is chained up with guilt, with fear or something. Lord, we pray for these brothers and sisters and we pray for ourselves. We pray that the resurrection power of your Holy Spirit would overwhelm their life. That this wouldn't be another time where just words are spoken. And we kind of wonder at the end, well, where was God? What was the use of that? And I just pray, Holy Spirit, just come, Holy Spirit, and bring resurrection power to the inner lives of those whose inner life is shattered right now. Sorrow, grief, fear, anxiety, brokenness, guilt. Bring that healing power. Strengthen the inner person. And maybe you're here this morning because there's some rooms in your heart that you know Christ isn't living in permanently. You let him in for a while, but you, you drive him out and you take back control of some, some room of your life. Living room, kitchen, foyer, basement, bedroom. And if you just have a, an area of your heart that you want to ask Jesus to take control of, maybe for the first time, maybe again, and just take a permanent residence there as the owner. We pray, Father, for these brothers and sisters who have something specific that you've laid upon them, some area of their heart, their life, which needs to be yielded to you. And maybe all of us need to go to the next level of understanding your love for us, to know the unknowable love of God. And we know it just takes you, Holy Spirit, to break through some of these barriers. That we, don't, we might have a sense of your love for us in a general way, but we don't, we don't have a grasp of the height and the depth and the breadth of your love for us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and that you'd encounter us. So wrap us up that we're oblivious to what's around us, that we, that we forget messages of, of disrepute and belittling that have been given to us through whatever experiences of our life. That we know the all-surpassing love of God. And Lord, for all of us, we pray that we as individuals and as a church will be filled up with the full measure of God. That your entire character, your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your kindness, your goodness, your truth, your mercy, your strength, would fill us up so that the glory of God can be seen in all that we are and all that we do. so that we can make a difference in the lives and in the circumstances in which you place us. That we would stand in your strength where there's injustice. 
that we would show mercy where there's brokenness. That we would be instruments of your love, that people can begin to think once again that there is a God who loves. That we would be ambassadors of grace. To love and to honor even those who harm us, wish ill towards us. Fill us up, Holy Spirit. Fill us up. Fill us up, Holy Spirit. Because we want to be full to the full measure of the living God. We pray these deep prayers for our deep needs through Jesus our Savior. Amen.